It's getting late in the day. Everybody's getting a little sleepy, so we'll jump in and try and get down to the, the heart of it. So, uh, welcome back. Part three, if you're just joining us, um, the goal that we've been chasing after right all day is how do we uh, develop discipleship strategies that both add new people to the kingdom and multiply kingdom disciples that make disciples. In session one, we talked about how addition and multiplication, contrary to popular belief, are not choices we make, they're tensions we manage. They're not either an or, but a, but, a, but a both and. In the second session, we talked about how your discipleship strategy needs to have two things, a destination and directions. And hopefully what you guys began to see is that both, both the destination and the directions begin to give people a picture of, are we just serious as a church about addition or are we also serious about multiplication? Um, we said that the, the destination is the answer to the question, what is a disciple right? The directions are the picture of what discipleship looks like in the life of a believer in your church's pathway for guiding people along that journey. So this last session, we're really going to get to the heart of it. How do we, we know how to add, how do we multiply? And I said, I gave you the little teaser at the end that discipleship is not just about what you preach, it's about what you tolerate. It's a great leadership principle, by the way. We preach a lot of things, but people figure out what we tolerate. Real quick. Yeah, yeah. So, what that means is we've got to do, we've got to build discipleship strategies that that don't just preach. We've got to develop discipleship discipleship strategies that hold people accountable to some kind of obedience. How many of you guys have read Master Plan of Evangelism? Classic, right? Robert Coleman lays out. Uh, eight steps that he takes from just looking at how Jesus made disciples. Uh, here's a quote. It all started by Jesus calling a few men to follow him. This revealed immediately the direction, his evangelistic strategy, I think I got this up there, um, would take. His concern was not just with, with just programs to reach the multitudes, but with men whom the multitudes would follow. Remarkable as it may seem, Jesus started to gather these men before he even organized an evangelistic campaign or ever preached a sermon in public. Men that were his method of winning the world to God. And what I want to put in front of you, this, I'm going to give you the real simple vision first, and then we'll get into the, you know, how does this actually play out is, at the end of the day, we've got to decide, are we going to live in that tension and the way that we live in the tension is going to come down to how do we personally spend our time? How do we personally spend our time? At every stage of the journey, are you multiplying and adding? Are you multiplying and adding? Um, eight steps, master plan, here they are. Um, number one, selection. Jesus chose people to disciple. He chose people to disciple. Association, he spent time with them. Consecration, they were expected to obey him. Okay? Four, he gave them his spirit. Doesn't mean they always obeyed him, but they were expected to obey him. He gave them his spirit. Demonstration, he modeled what they were supposed to do. Delegation, he gave it to them to do. 
supervision, he was careful to watch how they did it and correct them. Reproduction, he sent them to do the same with others. We're not going to focus on this whole list. It's a lot. Um, we're really going to focus on the first three. So as you think about that pathway that you just created um, and the different steps along that pathway, focus on these first three, selection, association, consecration. Um, I'm going to, where are those three things happening on that pathway? Where are those three things happening? Yeah. Are you saying in the context of church or in the context of life that who's church what are you asking? Let's focus on your church's leadership pathway or discipleship pathway. Where in that pathway? The assumption is somewhere in the seeking slash committed area. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's a selection step that happens in membership, right? You're going to lay out to people, this is what membership means. This is what, you know, these are the things that a member should do, right? And they're either going to say yes or no to that. And you're also going to say yes or no to them, depending on, you know, maybe how well you know them and their life. I've got to have one of those combos on Friday. It's going to be fun. Huh? So there's a selection step that happens at, at, at membership. What about, what about after that? So, you know, before the break, Jeremy brought up discipleship groups, right? Um, a lot of our churches have implemented something like a discipleship group or a triad or two or three, right? Um, where, you know, you can go more um, intentionally into discipleship. Um, we've done that as well. We have discipleship groups. Here's the question. Do you select who you're going to disciple and do are they expected to obey? Not you, but Jesus. Um, our church rolled out discipleship groups uh, a few years ago. We did what most churches do when they roll out discipleship groups. We made it one of the rhythms of our community groups. It was part of our community groups, right? The problem is um, when you make it part of the rhythm of a community group, usually those people, everybody's in. Everybody's in, right? But remember that the, the three types of people that we talked about at the beginning? The problem is you created a new group, but you didn't do any selection. You created a new group, but you didn't actually pull the people into that group that wanted to be discipled. You let everybody come in. You just recreated the same thing that you just had. In order for discipleship to happen, you've got to find the people that want to be discipled. There's, selection has to happen somewhere in the process. Secondly, once you get those people in that group, is it about what you preach or what you tolerate? There's got to be a step where they feel like they're 
expected to obey and they're accountable to obeying. If we don't create those steps somewhere, um, then we're going to end up with the same thing that we have. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack for you um, what our church is doing right now. I'm going to give you our church's three answers to those questions. But I don't want you to focus on like what our church is doing. Because honestly, we're still figuring this out, right? We're, we're, ex- we're still in the experiment- experimentation phase where we're introducing some of those things. Um, it's messy and it's slow. You know why it's messy and slow? Because people aren't used to obedience-based discipleship. <laughs> right? Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share these, but I want you to focus on what we're doing. I want you to focus more on those steps. How do you recreate those steps in the discipleship environments that you already have? Okay? And you as a leader, how do you recreate those steps somewhere in your life? Somewhere in your life. Um, a mentor of mine um, that I, I used to work with, um, he worked with uh, Word of Life. You guys are familiar with Word of Life ministry for years. Um, I mean, disciple maker through and through. Um, was, was discipled by one of the OG Navigators guys. And I was talking to him about this dilemma one time. And, you know, the time piece of it. And he said, he said, here's the thing. You just have to decide at the end of the day if discipleship is the one thing that you cannot afford to, to not do. And if you make that decision, then you will find ways to work it in to your rhythms, even with the other things that are happening, right? So you got to get over the time piece. And the only way you get over it is by being convinced that this is so important that no matter what else I'm doing, somewhere it's happening, right? And it's possible. Right now, um, I mean, we're five years old, so we're a little bit bigger. We have about eight staff. Um, but all three of us... Um, pastors are all leading discipleship groups, right? We do them all differently. I, I, I meet with my guys Thursdays at 5.45 a.m. because they all go to work, so we meet, we meet early. Um, that is not my favorite day in the week <laughs> to get up at 5.45 a.m. or earlier to meet with these guys. I have, I have my community group Wednesday night, the night before, so... You can imagine that every week it's like, all right, let's go. We can do this. Um, um, Corbin, our lead pastor, meets with his at night. Uh, Johnny meets with his earlier than I do because some of his guys schedule. They meet at 5 a.m. On, on Thursdays as well. We've just decided that this is the one thing that we can't afford to do or can't afford not to do. And it's just part of part of what we do as pastors with the hope that these guys that we're discipling are going to take that mantle reproduce it in other people um which is awesome i actually just had this happen so i've been journeying with my guys for about six months and one of those guys came to me and i mean classic example what we talked about earlier um about you know your people that don't like community groups and what they're looking for so this this is one of those guys been around the church forever has an incredible spiritual testimony i mean just like what god has done in this when he was in high school, he was robbing banks with his dad. Like what this guy has done, what God has done in this guy, guy's life is incredible. He's been lost in the church for five years. 
And the reason he's been lost in church five years is because he, he, he wanted to make disciples, but there wasn't an environment where he could do that. Nobody was releasing him to do it. They were, they were, they were asking him to be a small group leader, and he hated it. <laughs> they were asking him, and he did all those things, but he got tired of them, and he was about ready to leave the church. And I invited him into my discipleship group. He said, I want to do this. Can I do this? I said, yes. And it's unlocking his, his spiritual gifts in the church. These kind of people are out there. They're in your church, and they're looking for permission to do this kind of thing. Um, so how do we define it? We define discipleship. I think we've got this up there. Um, a disciple is someone who spends time with Jesus, becomes like him, and does what he does. A disciple is someone who spends time with Jesus, becomes like him, and does what he does. This is not, again, I'm not, I'm not saying like, this is amazing. It could probably be better. But um, it's, it's still a work in process. But you see the emphasis on obedience a little bit more, right? Someone who spends time with Jesus becomes like him, does what he does. Um, how do I become a disciple? How do I become a disciple? Um, we talk a lot in our context about discipleship as renewal. The idea of of being made new. The idea of um, the old man and the new man, right? So we use language of renewal a, a lot. It's contextual for us. We talk about um, our, our mission statement as a church is to join Jesus, join Jesus in personal and citywide renewal. So um, how do we, you know, when, you, when someone asks the question in our church, how do I become a disciple? They're asking the question, how do I be made new? This is how we answer that question. Um, this is what we call our cycle of renewal. It's up there. I don't know if you guys can see this. If you can't, it's up there. I'm gonna explain it here only because I've added to it. I'm still playing around with it. So um, how, do we, how do we hear about Jesus in the first place? You know, how do we know Jesus in the first place? Well, we know Jesus because we hear the word. The center of that word is the gospel. We hear the gospel complaint, uh, proclaimed. The gospel tells us about who Jesus is. Well, then we have to decide if we trust the word. Do I trust the word? Do I trust the gospel? Do I trust who Jesus is? Do I trust who God says he is? Um, and obviously when we make that decision for the first time, you know, we become a follower of Jesus. We decide that we, we trust God because we, we trust who we see God is in the character of Christ. Um, and then as people who have decided to trust Jesus, we continually come back to the Word and repeat this process. That's what we do every Sunday. We come together and we hear the Word of God and we decide, do I trust this? Right? And if we trust it, then we obey it. If we trust it, then we obey it. Now, some of us may spend a lot of time in this place 
deciding if we trust it before we obey it. Some of us will decide that we trust it and we say we want to obey it, but then we don't obey it, right? We disobey. But when we disobey, we go back to the gospel, to the word, and we hear two things. We hear that we are accepted despite our disobedience. And then we hear that we've actually been empowered to obey. That a new spirit has been put inside of us and that we actually have the power to obey this because of that spirit. Now, depending upon what issue we're talking about in our life and what the word is saying to us, we could go around that cycle over and over and over again in certain areas of our life, right? This is how we experience the word of God. Sometimes the word comes, we trust it, we're able to obey immediately. Sometimes because of certain things in our life, um, we've got to go around that cycle many, many times. Some of us will, be, will have areas in our life where we're wrestling with that for the rest of our life, right? But we're always coming back towards striving to obey Jesus because we trust him. As we gain confidence in, in the word, in our life, then we want to speak the word to others. When I say speak the word, I do mean evangelism, but I don't just mean evangelism. I mean sharing with other people the difference that the word is making in your life. That could be a non-believer that doesn't believe the same thing that I just used the word. A non-Christian doesn't believe the same thing that you do. Um, it could be a fellow believer that just needs to hear this word and the difference that it made in your life. This is part of the culture that we're trying to build in our church. We're not the only ones who speak the word. The word, you know, the word is flowing in everybody. And the more the word is being spoke, the more we'll all trust it and obey it. And then obviously, um, as people, as others get to hear the word, then it puts them on this cycle as well. All this is ultimately a work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Spirit guides this whole process. And it happens in the context of community, which is what we call the church. So we tell our people, you know, Jesus died for you, he loves you, he saved you. But if you really want to experience all that he has for you, you've got to learn how to not just hear it, not just trust it, but to obey it and to speak it. Any questions about that before I... Yeah. Why don't you have it? Why doesn't it have more of a central place in the world? What do you mean? Um, you just you just made it the way you just explained it made it seem like super important. Not necessarily more important than others, but like just kind of where you have it, it feels like on the same page as all of the world. I don't know. Did anybody ask you that way? I mean, I emphasize it at the end. And I emphasize it at the end because, because I think it's the piece that we leave out. Yeah. 
We talk a lot about this. We talk a lot about this. We talk a lot about this. We talk in a lot of our circles the least about this. So that's why I emphasized it. But I would, I would put all these things together, you know. Um, our, our church is doing um, what we're calling the Year of the Bible. Um, some of your churches have done this, something like this before. We're walking our people through um, Scripture. But our goal, the goal of the Year of the Bible is to develop a habit of reading the Bible for yourself. Um, researchers study this. I can't remember the name of the institute, but they study how often does someone need to encounter the word during their week in order for it to change their life. Um, and they studied it not just in the, in the West, in the States. They studied it um, all the world, about 200,000 people. The answer that they came up with was four times, four times. If someone will be in the word at least four times, a week, they'll begin to see transformation, right? Our challenge is that most of our people get two times. Sunday morning, community group. So how do we get our people in the Word? The Word does the work, right? And so the other, the other intentionality behind this is, at the end of the day, if we don't have the Word, we don't have anything. Right? I mean, our job is to proclaim the word. If, if, you know why our people are being more formed by culture than they are by scripture? Because they're, this is what forms them. So if there's one thing that we want to teach our people to walk into obedience in, it is encountering the word of God. If people will encounter the word of God, their lives will be changed. Um, a friend of mine, uh, used to be on staff at Summit. Was he was an evangelist, and uh, I used to I, I asked him one time like how how he shared the gospel, and he said, "Man, my goal is just to stick him with a word." I was like, I was like, "What do you mean by that? That sounds kind of uh, you know a little brutal." He's like, "Man, just stick him with a word. Let the word do the work." Um, I was like, "Well, what does that look like?" And he's like, "Man, so you know, the other day I was talking to." Um, I, I, another dad I've gotten to know on my son's soccer team and he was asking me how I was doing we were just chatting you know things like we would normally do and I said man you know I've been going through this but I actually read this this morning in the Psalms and it said this and it really like made a difference in my life sticking with the word just get the word of God out and let it do work He's like, man, I do that with people over time. Then people will start to, you know, some people start to ask me, like, it seems like the word of God is really important. Like the Bible, they don't say the word of God. <laughs> the Bible is really important to you. Um, you know, maybe I'm going through this. Does the Bible have anything to say to that? Or, or maybe they, they might just ask him about, like, you know, reading the Bible. And then his goal is to sit down with them and just read the Bible with them, right? Because if he can get them in the word, the word will do the work. Um, if we get our people, you know, to interact with the Word of God. Notice, this happens in the context of the church, but you know who's discipling them? I'm not. Jesus is discipling them. So, you know, I'll tell my guys uh, when I was starting my discipleship group, listen, like, I'm going to lead you guys through this process, but I'm not your discipler. Jesus is your disciple, discipler. Ultimately, you're not responsible to be obedient to me. You're responsible to be obedient to him. And ultimately, like, um, 
He wants to have a relationship with you that's more important than the relationship that I want to have with you. So, cycle renewal. That's our picture of how do you become a disciple. Last thing um, is, is our pathway. This is probably, I would say, the, the, the part that may change the most. Do we have a slide for this? Um, it's going to look very similar. Essentially, um, some of these categories will look familiar. So, um, exploring. Um, that for us is generally going to be an attender of our church at this stage. I hope that that changes in the future, but at this stage, a participant, this is somebody who's connected. Usually, um, they're connected mainly on Sunday mornings and for us in community groups. Um, membership, this is being committed. You're committed to Jesus and to one another. Um, most of those commitments are going to happen in the context of community group. Um, this is where you might begin to see some of the biggest differences growing. This is what we call a kingdom disciple. Um, this is discipleship groups. And the thing that sets apart how we're approaching discipleship groups is different how I've experienced in the past is um, we're most, you know how we started discipleship groups? We as a staff did a discipleship group. And then we multiplied that as a discipleship group. And then we're going to multiply that discipleship group. In the church, we tend to want to scale things too fast. Um, we think that because we come with a new strategy, we've got to roll it out to the, the whole church at one time. Um, that's a terrible way to try something new, by the way. I mean, if you look at how businesses try new things, they do it in one place and they figure out a model that works and then they reproduce it, right? Um, the other thing that we do when we do that is that we... Um, we we, the reason we do it is because we feel like, man, we're offering this. We should offer it to everybody. No. Selection. So the way we've started discipleship groups is like a big secret that everybody wants to be in on. We did it together as a staff. Um, and then this fall, we did that together as a staff for about six months. And then this fall, um, Corbin, Johnny, and I each started one of my, our wives are leading um, ones with I'm doing ours with a couple right now, so my wives are leading the ladies. And we just, we just picked people in the life of our church that we felt like were ready for this and wanted it. And um, we're investing in them. And then the hope is that they're going to you know, grab hold of that and want to do it with other people. And it's like we're kind of like talking about it but not talking about it. And people are starting to ask about it. And that's exactly what I want to happen. Um, now... The other thing you got to know is that not everybody that's in my discipleship group is going to end up reproducing it, more than likely. And that's, again, another place where you have to make that turn on selection. It's like, have they been obedient? Well, then, yeah, they should, they should start a discipleship group because they're going to reproduce what they did in other people. And if you, if you don't keep that step in place, then, then you'll lose it and it'll be back to you know, everything that you had before. So that's what we're trying to do. Um, same thing with leadership. Uh, we don't, you know, one of the biggest mistakes I made my first year on staff at the summit is I started like a church plant cohort. And I was like, who wants to plant a church? You know, and I spent the next like six months trying to get half the people out of that group. Because, I mean, take this right. They didn't have any business planting a church. Same thing with leadership. Who do we look out at in the congregation? We see, man, God's doing something in your life. 
we think you might be called to ministry. Let's have that conversation, see if you're interested in it, and pull those people into that group. Um, I have been blown away by how many people that I have met at our church who have told me some version of, yeah, I always thought I might end up in ministry at some point. Like in Denver, Colorado, in the middle of nowhere. Um, I, I mean, I had another one the other day. This guy came up after the service. He's new. His, his wife and him just became members. And they're like, yeah. He was like, yeah, I used to do student ministry. Um, and uh, I got really burnt by the church. But, like, I'm back and I'm excited. And anyway, I, you know, I started off by, sh- by sharing this challenge, this challenge of, like, where are these leaders going to come from? And the answer is they're, they're here. All of the leaders that we need to fulfill the Great Commission are in our churches. They're just waiting for us to come and call them out and develop them and train them. Question for you, dog. I'm running out. Me too. You might be running out of patience with me, but that's all right. Um, the people in your discipleship group, yeah. do you expect them to be in that community group as well? We do. We do. We went really, I mean, I'll, I'll peel back the curtain. When I got there, I was ready to just get rid of community groups because I didn't think they did anything. But I was wrong. And what I realized is that they're really important because they, they connect people to, to, to the community, to, to other people, and that's important. It's a big part of discipleship. The way we say it is this. Now, this is behind-the-scenes language. We haven't said it to people yet because we're not rolling out discipleship groups yet. Community groups exist to get people hungry. Discipleship groups exist to teach them how to be fed by Jesus. So community groups have a goal. They have an important goal. They're to get people to that place where they're spiritually hungry, to the place that the community group can no longer feed them. Then we pull them into the discipleship group to teach them how Jesus wants to feed them. Um, I don't know if I answered your question. That's good. All right. All right. Um, John Tyson... uh, said it this way I read this recently and we're going to end on this resonance is not the same as obedience resonance is not the same as obedience we teach our people to resonate with what Jesus said do we teach them to obey we teach them to trust what Jesus said I think often we assume that because they trust it they will obey it but in my experience that's not true people need to be shown how to obey resonance is not the same as obedience hope this has been helpful for you guys hope you're able to kind of walk away with some tangible things Um, if you're planning a church my biggest encouragement to you would be this doesn't have to start big This doesn't have to start big. Just grab a couple of people that you see God working in and find time to spend time with them and invest in their life. And you'll be amazed with what God does with that. All right? Guys, this has been good. Thank you so much. Man, y'all, just again, so grateful that my. Come and spend this time with us. And thank you so much. I mean-